This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Morning. This episode has some swear words in it. And we talk about deep space, which is spooky and scary. So strap in. (laughs) Before we begin, I do have a small correction. Um, Because when we were, this one comes from my mum. Hey, mum. When we were talking about like the Sydney 2000 Olympics and the torch relay, Uh I was just Uh like, oh, I don't think, did they just jog down the Bruce Highway? I don't think I saw them. Like, I don't think, they didn't think they came through our town. And and mum's like, nah, I, I, we saw the torch. We did. They ran down the Bruce Highway. Oh. <laughs> and like we apparently like we stood at the like the Benarabi General Store, which I don't think is there mm-hmm. anymore. But, you know, it was classic. Like I remember the lollies that were available there. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't remember the Olympic torch. But then mum pointed out we had or the boys had made, maybe I'd made like from milk bottles, like pretend video cameras. <laughs> we were playing ah. with those. <laughs> and I remember those. I remember those and I have lots of memories of getting the leaves at that shop. So maybe Arguably, one of those memories was that. Mm. Arguably they were more iconic than the torch and that's why you remember. Yeah, so hilariously someone from the local high school did jog down the Bruce Highway with the torch for a bit. Well, there you go. The end. Um Really glad that you um, corrected that error, and I'm sure lots of our fans listening. Uh, <laughs> we get, I'm really sorry, and we're probably going to have to um, really fight hard to retain your listenership <laughs> yeah, after um, this embarrassing fact check. Mm, that that from goes Jess's out to, yeah, <laughs> to my parents. Thank you so much. Um, over to you, Maddie. Um, well, today we are here to learn about the dish. The dish herself, the Parks Radio Telescope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you ready? Are you excited? Have you got oh, your yeah. scientific listening ears on? <clears throat> I have. I'm wearing my glasses for Great. that as for well. Scientific so. reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing mine, which is naughty. Um, mm. but too late. <laughs> okay. So the CSIRO stands for the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation is the Australian government agency responsible for scientific research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We like them. Yes. Um, from their website, they say, over nearly a century we've been improving the lives of people everywhere with our science. Since we started life as the Advisory Council of Science and Industry in 1916, we've advanced Australia with a range of inventions and innovations that have significant positive impact on the lives of people around the world. These include fast Wi-Fi, polyamma <laughs> banknotes, the CSIRO total well-being diet, and AeroGuard, just to name a few. Total well-being or turtle well-being? Yeah, turtle. Turtle. Okay. No, I'm kidding. It's <laughs> turtle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, they actually invented this diet for turtles that like mm, really took off. Yeah. I have actually heard of this CSIRO. It's just like healthy eating and polymer banknotes and Aragard, did you say? Aragard Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah, the CSIRO mm. are responsible for like so many amazing things around Insect the world, Australia. Is what Aragard yeah. is, just so we know. Yeah. Every time you look onto the internet, thank the CSIRO. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're I also do. doing a lot around COVID research. So, yeah. yes, they are. God bless. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, we will probably do, I would love to do a full episode on them at some point because they are re- truly fascinating. Mm. But for now, that is the backstory for this grand tale of the dish. So, the dish is the nickname for the Parks Radio Telescope that has been in operation for nearly 60 years. It is located just outside the town of Parks in central west in the central west of New South Wales, and it is one of the four telescopes that make up the Australia Telescope National Facility. Mm. Um, for reference, a few big ones. Because I mean, I, I've I've been to it. I imagine you yes. have, and maybe we can cover that in a little I've bit. I've been several times. Yeah, but if you've not seen <laughs> the Parks Radio Telescope, I do mm-hmm. recommend it. Or if you've not seen the film The Dish, you could also watch Contact with Jodie Foster because she works at similar mm-hmm. telescopes. Just you know, watch for scale. The Dish and Contact as a double feature. Yeah, actually, we could both we- excellent films. Just I'll make a note for Maddie that in our social life, not on the podcast, we can watch those. That'd be good. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have actually done that once. Like I watched The Dish one day and then contact the next. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, I'm a big fan of The Dish. Um, So it it has a diameter of 64 metres. She's big. And she's one of the largest single-dish telescopes in the Southern Hemisphere, originally was the largest. And, yeah, basically the basic structure of the thing hasn't changed since 1961. Like they built it and that shape has has not changed at all. The the Mm. surface of the thing has changed and all of its like internal technology and control rooms and, you know, obviously all of that stuff has been changed extensively over the years, but the dish herself. Mm. Computers get smaller. There mm. are no pulleys. If there were pulleys, I assume things get more exciting. I mean, there may still be pulleys. Mm, but maybe they're computer. CSIRO, if you are listening, and we know that we have listeners in Forbes and Parks, mm. so The Dish, if you are listening, because I think you are, <laughs> call us up and let me know. I'm a big fan. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> it begins in the 1950s. So <laughs> during World War II, the CSIRO radiophysics laboratory in Sydney carried out secret radar research. Big deal, very cool. So after the war, um, other radio astronomy centres emerged throughout England and the Netherlands and the United States. However, this particular Sydney group was actually the largest and supposedly the most skillful and diversified in their skill sets in the world. So Australia had this amazing reputation for radio physics, which is hmm. cool. Yeah. So Australia led the world in this like very, very new field of science. So the telescopes used during this period <laughs> were cannibalized from various wartime radar equipment. So scientists were just experimenting with different World War II era 
radars and radios and all of that stuff to and just kind of smush them all together at various much smaller CSIRO mm. field stations scattered around mostly Sydney and Canberra. So just whack the parts together, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It was just this really interesting time of experimentation, which is mm. really cool. Um, and it was these radios with the CSIRO that were used to detect the first radio sources outside of our own galaxy, Ooh. as well as the first to discover the centre of the Milky Way and the first to unravel complex radio emissions from the sun. Cool. Which is cool. Yeah. They also learned how to bounce radar signals off the moon. <laughs> like they were just they were just, just see, signals just see in the sky and seeing what would yeah. happen. Yeah, because it was brand new. So they were just like discovering all of this stuff really, really quickly, which is cool. Yeah, let's see if we can talk to the moon. Oh, amazing. Yeah, exactly. And then they were like, <laughs> we, can. we can. We uh, can. Cool. <laughs> Maybe if someone is up there in 10 years' time, mm. we will be able to talk to them. Hmm. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So <laughs> all of these discoveries proved the need to expand the current technology and consolidate it into more formalized mm. <laughs> structures so taffy bowen excellent Great name. name stunning taffy bowen sounds like a character from fairly odd parents mm. that nickelodeon show but or like anyway. a type of because then you have bowen mangoes maybe it's like a type of dessert mm. like a taffy bowen like you have like ah, a um like a peach a melba taffy. is a, a dessert yeah. origin that you or have a cocktail mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay <laughs> Add that to the list of uh, yeah. lockdown activities. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, or if anyone listening at home wants to make a taffy bowen and send through the recipe, please do. Mm. <laughs> uh, so taffy bowen, the chief of the CSIRO's radiophysics lab during this time, began the mission to expand all of this technology. Uh, bowen was described as an energetic and charismatic Welshman. Great. Yeah, so when you add that accent Mm. to the name Taffy Bowen as well, you're like, amazing. (laughs) Uh, He had made his reputation before the war by miniaturizing radar technology to fit in the noses of British bomber planes. So essentially he was famous for taking World War I radar technology and pre-World War II and being able to shrink it down smaller and smaller and smaller so that planes could use it. Wow. Yeah, and without that technology – like the, you know, the British bomber planes during World War II would not have been as successful as they were. Mm. So pretty big deal. In 1952, Britain announced that it, it planned to build a giant telescope near Manchester. While around the same time, the California Institute of Technology announced they wanted to do something similar. Mm. So England and the US start this giant telescope dish war. Yeah, classic. However, classic. Taffy <laughs> Bowen was like, bitch, please. Mm. <laughs> we are actually number one in this area and we're, you know, we're going to mm. do it. We're doing it. We've got the space so, too. Yeah, exactly. We've got the space and we've got, this will become quite important. Like we've got vast areas of land that are not urbanized mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So he basically starts drawing up proposals to build the world's most advanced radio telescope wild yeah so before he was the space making race, things small now he's making them big yeah. 
Exactly. Before the space race, there was the dish race, (laughs) (laughs) which arguably then leads to the space race, which is Mm. pretty amazing. Um, The Americans actually abandoned their telescope idea because they're like, oh, okay. And thank goodness they did because we eventually needed their money to do ours. Mm. (laughs) So there was very little chance of the Australian government funding such an expensive project and Bowen knew this. So during World War II, Bowen had worked a lot in the US doing his amazing radio technology stuff and was well-respected and made some very powerful friends in the science sector. And so using those connections, he persuaded the Carnegie Corporation and the Rockefeller Foundation to fund 50% of the Australian telescope. Wow. Which is pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah. Schmoozing the fancy people. Exactly. And then after doing that, securing those funds, he convinces the Prime Minister, Robert Menzies, to agree to fund the rest, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. And meanwhile, the British dish is not going to plan. (laughs) (laughs) So they're like they have all these massive design problems that lead to delays and the project runs massively over budget and rather than Taffy just like soldiering on doing his own thing, he actually goes, you know what, I'm going to engage with the engineers that are working on that dish to learn from their mistakes and use those red flags to avoid doing the same things. What a competent fellow. Yeah, and because he Mm. was well regarded over there as well with their bomber technology, they were like, oh, classic taffy. Yeah, we'll tell you our secrets. Let's Mm. go. (laughs) (laughs) And so basically he takes some of those learnings and he engages Barnes Wallace, who is an inventor and engineer from England. Another strong, strong name. Yeah. No first names to be seen, although that probably yeah. is a first name. Barnes, yeah. Mm. Taffy, and, Taffy and Barnes. Taffy and Barnes, great. <laughs> <laughs> and so Barnes suggests that. Um, like Wallace and Gromit, sh- but go on. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Oh my God. Mm. And they're inventors as well. Anyway, and they also go to the moon and eat cheese. Mm. Anyway, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Coincidence? Mm -hmm. Probably. I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Literary inspiration from real world. Wow. I can't say Mm. that. That's fine. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Wallace suggests a geodetic structure for the dish. So a, a bigger circle, a half a circle. One that okay, is able to withstand, yeah, and one that is able to withstand the distortions of gravity and keep its perfect parabolic shape regardless of the angle of tilt. So basically he's like you need a bowl and you need a dish and it needs to be able to rotate around <laughs> and pivot and 360 and all of those things. I know mm, I'm doing Maddie is demonstrating, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like it's very accurate. Um, it's quite a smooth uh, movement, yeah. Yeah, I've seen the dish many times, so mm. I've rehearsed. <laughs> and so Bowen and Wallace's brainchild was then picked mm-hmm. up by Freeman Fox, which was the design firm who delivered the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and they finalised and delivered the plans. Ah, oh, another yeah. curved structure. Yes, and this took four years. So all of these very competent people working with each other mm. made this thing happen. Uh, the dish itself was predominantly built in Germany and then shipped in pieces to Australia to be constructed on site, and that began in September 1959. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. The site was originally going to be just outside of Sydney, potentially the Blue Mountains, but all of the proposed areas were way too close to urban centres that are just way too noisy mm. because essentially any kind of radio interference ruins the whole setup. And so because of that, they ultimately landed on Gubeng National Park near Parks, New South Wales, which is about 380 kilometres from Sydney. Mm-hmm. So it's successful, but it's far enough away for the airs to be nice and clear. But also the mayor, Cess Moon. Okay. Now they're taking the piss, you know? I know. Cess Moon. Cess Moon. The, yeah, the mayor. Taffy and, Barnes and Cess. Yeah. Cess and last the name. landowner. Moon. Moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Mayor Cess Moon and the landowner, Australia James Helm. What? <laughs> Australia? We're both enthusiastic about the project. It's not his Australian. His name is Australia? Yeah. What What do you mean? First name Australia, middle name James, last name Helm. Did he? <laughs> Unless my sources are incorrect. Uh, <laughs> yep. So Cess Moon and Australia are enthusiastic. Did he? Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your follow-up questions, Jess? Uh... <laughs> Did he go by James or did he go by Australia? Oh, Oz. And, yeah, but Oz also just in general that I obviously had brought up Wallace and Gromit, but all these characters that are appearing mm-hmm. in this tale would work really well in Claymation, I think. You know how there's the film The Dish, which we'll get to? Yeah. I feel like there needs to be a prequel. Yeah. About the building of the dish with all of these people. No one take that idea. I am writing it. It's copyright. Goodbye. Mm. It'll be claymation, <laughs> so stand by. <laughs> yeah, it'll take me 15 years. Uh, anyway, okay. so Australia James Helm has joined Cess, Taffy and Barnes. Mm-hmm. And they're building the dish. Okay. According to ABC Science... <laughs> The local township known originally as Bushman's Had. Had? That's the name. Not Hat. Bushman's Had. Bushman's Had. Because I feel like there's something called like Bushman's Hat. I feel like Hat is a place. Bushman's Bushman's Hat. Bushman's Had. Hyphen Had. Okay. Mm -hmm. It grew rapidly after gold was discovered in the area. Mm -hmm. The townsfolk wanting respectability had changed their name following a visit by in 1873 by Sir Henry Parks, the future father of Australian Federation. Okay. Yeah. So they build it in Parks, but it used mm. to be called Bushman's Head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even the townsfolk were like, that's not a name. No, they're like, we prefer mm-hmm. colonialism, although they're already participating in it. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <sighs> so the moving part of the telescope weighs 1,000 tonnes. And how much is in a ton? Uh, many, many, many grams and kilograms. <laughs> Basically two Boeing mm. 747s. Great. That helps me. I'm bad with figuring yeah. out what numbers mean. Yeah. I know. When people are like, oh, my baby is four pounds something, I'm like, how many subways is that? How many Heidi's is that? Like, I Yeah. Don't or like, can know. you like just show me, you know, with your hands? Like, yeah, and then show me the strain of the weight. Yeah, demonstrate you holding the child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Okay, so it's two enormous planes. Yep. Um, 
then the telescope only receives signals from space. It doesn't send them. So, I mean, it can bounce things, but anyway, yeah. Okay. It's not yielding stuff out into space. Mm, but it can, like, mm. reflect things from elsewhere and pass those on, but it doesn't yes. generate yes. its own signals uh, at the time. I think at the time, mm. yeah. It's yeah. a little bit confusing how the technology works. But, okay. yeah, it's not the, the the purpose of the telescope is not to send stuff out to astronauts in space as much as it is to receive and then bounce them in certain places. Okay. That's what I believe. Yeah. All right. Yes. Um, and because the surface is so large, it catches wind like a sail. So it has to be stowed either like directly up or in particular area, like to particular mm. angles to stay safe when the wind exceeds 35 kilometres an hour. Otherwise the whole thing would just rocket into the sky. Wow. And that's not that windy. <laughs> no, it's not. No. But it's so big. Like, mm. Just imagine the dish falling off and then rolling down. <laughs> it would be. The desert of Australia. <laughs> a catastrophe. <laughs> uh, yep. So about 85% of the year is scheduled for observing. So of all time, like 24-7. So, yeah, they use mm. – a. it doesn't turn off very often essentially okay. and less than 5% of that time is lost due to high winds or problems. But that's pretty mm. good. That's good. So like 80% of the year is on record. Mm. Yeah. Not a particularly windy place, I gather, parks. Um, well, I enough for it to be not. fine, for it to be, yeah. It probably wouldn't be. It is – yeah, a pretty arid, mm. and I don't mm. think it's in like the windy plains section of mm. the desert or anything. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, like dry grasslands area. Mm. But yeah, so they finished building all of this in 1961, and it's fully operational by 1963. It was completed on time and only slightly over budget, which is pretty cool. Wow! In 1962, it tracks the first interplanetary space mission. Mariner 2 as it flew by the planet Venus, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And in 1963, the 18-metre wide Kennedy dish was transferred from its previous observatory, also in New South Wales. So it now has a little friend. Like oh, it's a like little the baby. Dish and it's got its little friend, the 18-metre. Yeah, that's the Kennedy dish. Mm-hmm. And then between 1964 and 1966, an all-sky survey of the southern sky, which is like the skies are split into like not quite hemisphere but almost mm. hemisphere south-north anyway. So they, an all-sky survey, survey of the southern sky was conducted, finding over 2,000 radio sources, including many new quasars. Okay. Which is cool. Which so are a quasar, space thing. Yeah, great. Tell me. Yeah, they are <laughs> an extremely massive and remote celestial object that emits a huge amount of energy. So we don't necessarily know what they are. It's just when we find them, we're like, that is a planet or a gas or a star or a something, a, mm. a UFO, like whatever. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they can shine up to one trillion times brighter than the sun. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so in 1963 they were a huge mystery, but yeah. because of the work that the dish did, they were starting to unpack them mm. um, and essentially changed space 
history and science forever, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And then in 1964, the telescope was featured in the opening credits of a television series called The Stranger. Okay. It was – we have to dig this up because it was Mm. Australia's first locally produced sci-fi series. It was on the ABC. It was a kid's show. A bunch of the scenes were shot on location at the telescope. Um, And essentially a schoolmaster finds an unconscious young man on his doorstep, takes him in and looks after him. And then I assume it's like dot, 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 spooky shit happens. Wow. Well, if we can't find it through our normal research channels, we'll be emailing some archives. Yeah. ABC ABC. archives. Hit us up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then the second all sky survey at a much higher Hertz rate begins in 1968. And that doesn't finish until 1980. Wow. And so this, yeah, so this telescope is doing huge all-sky surveys and discovering all sorts of new galaxies and quasars. Mm. Anyway, it's really cool. Yeah, so like heaps of the knowledge that is used all around the world for space research is because of this dish. Cool. You're welcome. Very very cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... The following section I'm about to read <laughs> is pretty much verbatim from the CSIRO website okay. because there are so many versions of this story and I wanted to keep it as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. So credit to CSIRO for this next section. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> At 12.56 p.m. on the 21st of July, 1969, Australian Eastern Standard Time, 600 million people watched as Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Our Parks Radio Radio Telescope famously supported receiving the television signals on that momentous day. Although many people think the Parks Telescope was the only station receiving the signal, it was actually the 26-metre antenna at NASA's Honeysuckle Creek Space tracking station near Canberra that was the prime station assigned with receiving the initial TV pictures from the moon. However, so this is what happens. Mm. Moon landing's happening. Huge deal. Very, very cool. The dish was on standby to receive some of the signals and pass them on, you know, to the US and everywhere for broadcast, blah, 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 blah. The Canberra site, which is run by NASA, Mm. actually captures the first, I think it's like the first 10 minutes eight and a half minutes so they capture Mm -hmm. the first eight and a half minutes but because the astronauts were spacewalking earlier than anticipated Mm. like they weren't able to continue transmitting at the correct angle anymore Mm. because obviously like the earth is rotating the moon is anyway Mm. and so parks had to take over And they then do the following two hours and 12 minutes of live broadcast, Mm. which is very, very cool. However, drama happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, CSIRO, for the following passages. While the park's telescopes successfully received the signals, the occasion didn't go without a hitch. (laughs) The lunar module had landed at 6.17 a.m., Astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were supposed to rest before the moonwalk, but Neil Armstrong was keen to get going. 
<laughs> the astronauts were slow getting into their suits and when they got outside, the moon was rising over parks. The telescope was fully tipped over, waiting for the moon to rise when a series of strong wind gusts, <laughs> 110 kilometres per hour. Oh, my God. Much higher than 35. Yeah. They made the control room shutter and slammed the telescope back against its zenith axis gears. So it like, mm. yep. Fortunately, the wind slowed <laughs> and Buzz Aldrin activated the TV camera just as the moon came into the telescope's field of view. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, so it's mm. literally like chaos. The thing snaps back back into place and Buzz Aldrin's like, boop. Mm. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's when they take over from the um, NASA site. Mm. And so Australia is broadcasting to the world, which is really cool. Apparently the weather was still quite bad, but the telescope managed to operate well beyond its safety limits. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So the signals received by Parks were sent to Sydney and from there the TV signal was split. So one signal was sent to the ABC and the other to Houston for international Mm. telecast. Yeah. So our, like the Australian broadcast was actually the only one that was not coming out of Houston. Mm. We actually kind of got a more direct local signal, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so because of the international signal coming from Australia, mm. the rest of the world actually had more of a delay. So Australian audiences actually saw Neil Armstrong's historic first steps, they think around 0.3 seconds before the rest of the world. Wow, 0.3 seconds. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're welcome, America and the rest of the world, <laughs> for – all of that um, without us, what would you have done? I don't know. Imagine I just like they we flung people to the moon long before we had like mobile phones. Yeah, it's pretty or lots of, lots of things. And it wasn't that long before this where they literally bounced radio for the first time to the moon. Yeah. It was like 17 years before or something like that. Mm. But they're like, oh, we can bounce radio signals. Mm. And then they're like, oh, no, we're receiving them from people who are now there. Yeah. And we're broadcasting them to the rest of the world. Like that's huge. It's wild. Yeah. Very, very cool. Mm. So jumping ahead to the 1990s, um, Parks collaborates with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and the National Radio Astronomy Observatory to conduct another even higher Hertz all-sky survey. And it was within this time that the strongest known Einstein rings were identified. And so Einstein rings are, it's a bit confusing, big space thing helps Mm -hmm. proves Einstein's theory of relativity. And anyway, very cool. I don't know what they are, but also don't think I'm in a position to a understand. Okay, here. great. <laughs> yeah, I'm just finding it. So an Einstein ring is created when two galaxies are almost perfectly aligned one behind the other, which is pretty wild. So like it's almost like a it's not a cut and paste of the same galaxy, but they're perfectly kind of directly behind each other, mm. which is great when you think about how 
big spaces, like to have something parallel, you know, like straight lines shouldn't be in nature. Mm. That kind of, Yeah, basically disproving that theory and going like, no, they do exist. And Einstein had that theory of, yeah, so that's where they're named after him. Okay. Mm. Cool. And they use them to measure um, how quickly and at what rate the universe is expanding as well because you can kind of use them as a unit of measure against other things uh, around them. So a very big deal. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome, everybody. Um, cool. And between <laughs> 1997 and 2002, it conducts an all-sky survey that is a neutral hydrogen survey, which is the largest blind survey for galaxies that has ever been done to this date, so even to today. And so basically they survey the atomic hydrogen emission in the Milky Way and beyond and they use that to figure out a bunch of things. So basically like, yeah, when you unpack those gases, you can discover a whole heap of material that's in the atmosphere. So a lot of the knowledge that we have around um, where other things are in the galaxy are because of that specific survey and it's the biggest one that's ever been done hasn't been beaten yet. I tried to find out exactly what that means, but it was mm. very detailed and confusing, but apparently it's a really big deal. Okay. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in the year 2000, the dish, the film is released. Mm-hmm. 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 So the dish is a 2000 Australian historical comedy drama that tells the story of the park's observatory's role in relaying live television of humanity's first steps on the moon during the Apollo 11 mission that we just chatted through then. They do take some creative liberties, but mm-hmm. it is an excellent film that we will review, review in detail. Oh, yeah. It's great. Maybe Sam soon-ish. Neil, right? Yeah, let's watch it soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Sam Neil as Cliff Buxton and Patrick Warburton as Al Burnett. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the top grossing Australian film in the year 2000 and it was mostly set on location except for the extremely accurately recreated 1960s control rooms which they built. Mm. To this day, it has a 96% Rotten Tomatoes rating. That's pretty good. It's very good. It's a good film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then throughout the 2000s, more amazing things happen. Um, So half of the currently known pulsars in the universe were discovered by the Parks Observatory. So space.com defines pulsars as spherical compact objects that are about the size of a large city but contain more mass than the sun. So okay. these are like dense, dense boys. And scientists are using pulsars to study extreme states of matter, search for planets beyond Earth's solar system, and measure comic distances. So, yeah, like density that we can't even comprehend on Earth. And then you can then use that to map other things. Wow. In 2004, the telescope was used to find a double pulsar, which also helped prove um, Einstein's theory of general relativity. So, again, these, like, parallels that are existing in the universe. So we're starting to realise that the universe can kind of, like, cut and paste things. That's a very simplified term. Mm. but This is what I need, yeah. though, to understand. <laughs> yeah, and this is also, like, this is where a lot of the science around breaking apart, you know, the theories of even just um, cosmic evolution and stuff like mm. that and the Big Bang theory and, you know, all of those things are tied into 
this research that this telescope mm. is doing. Yeah. Wild. So the first fast radio burst was discovered in 2007 in the telescope's data archive. So a fast radio burst are like millisecond long flashes of energy equivalent to the same amount of energy the sun produces in over 80 years. Wow. And we don't know what these are. So there are theories that it's like something dying in the universe. There are theories that it's other people trying to communicate with us. There are, yeah. So we don't know what they are. But the first one was recorded in Australia and scientists are basically like racing to explain what it is. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So we've had dish race, we've had space race, and now we have fast radio burst race. In 2012, they received signals from the Mars rover um, and basically this was like a bunch of testing that helped prepare for the upcoming Curiosity Mars landing that happened in 2012, which was cool. So they Mm -hmm. helped facilitate that. And in 2015, the ABC reported that strange signals detected by the Parkes Telescope in central West New South Wales were not intergalactic signals, but instead emissions escaping from a microwave in the site's kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so funny. So basically they've like just discovered fast radio bursts, this phenomenon Mm. that everyone's like freaking out about, and they are unpacking all of these and they're like doing that research and then they get this weird signal that's super local and they're like, oh, my God, what is it? Oh, my God. And then um, so PhD student Emily Petroff is one of the people investigating this and she describes it as we were getting some strange signals that appeared to be coming from very nearby but we were actually able to trace them back to the microwave at the Parks Radio Telescope site. <laughs> It turns out that you can generate these particular local signals by opening the door of the microwave to stop the microwave, and that produces these weird bursts that we're seeing at parks. It was kind of a surprise to us all. Yeah, rather so than you like open it mm. before it's done. Yeah, which is also terrifying, and I'm no mm. longer going to do that anymore. Mm. <laughs> yep, yeah. So that's pretty funny. Uh, and then throughout 2018 and 19, the telescope supported NASA's Canberra Deep Space Communication Complex in receiving data from Voyager 2, which is the spacecraft that crossed into interstellar space. Yeah. Mm. Um, basically, as it stands now, it is 10,000 times more sensitive than its initial configuration. Wow. Yeah, so they keep, you know, this technology is just infinitely expanding so Mm. 10,000 is a lot it's a lot yeah yeah in 2020 local Wiradjuri elders gave the telescopes names as part of NADOC week celebrations Mm -hmm. and that this was done in consultation over a two-year period where the CSIRO local park staff worked in collaboration with elders Um, the chief executive director Larry Marshall said Australia had a rich heritage of exploring the world and the stars and it's humbling to link our early steps to connect to the universe with that ancient wisdom. Hmm. And then Dr. Grant, who is a Rotary elder, said this is something that has been coming for a very long time. The naming of the telescopes is one of the biggest things to happen to our people. Yeah, which is really Hmm. cool. The names are 
Murrayang, which is for the the big 64 mm-hmm. meter Parkes telescope. So Murrayang represents the sky world where Biyami lives, and Biyami is a prominent crater um, spirit that is represented in the sky by stars, mm-hmm. which is cool. And then Gyalung Mill, which is the 12 meter antenna, um, which means smart eye, and Gyalung. Gulliman for the 18 meter, the decommissioned antenna, meaning smart dish. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then as of 2021, so very recently, just a couple of months ago, the CSIRO has signed a five year agreement with the Houston based aerospace company, um, Intuitive Machines, to support a bunch of lunar missions, including NASA's first commercial mission. And so they're yeah, they're basically helping NASA run commercial the commercial space race. Send billionaires to the moon. Yeah, so that's like a bit of a Is it one way? One. Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know the full details of that partnership, but that's like part of the next thing that they will be doing but essentially Mm. the the telescope is the largest and most sensitive receiving ground station for this Mm. series of missions that are happening um and as we know it's yet very strategically placed for any kind of lunar activity Mm. so it makes sense but hopefully you know if the csiro are involved they can kind of use it to expand the scientific horizons. Yeah, surely. Like maybe some of the money in this commercial endeavor from like dodgy millionaires can actually mm. go towards some of the other awesome stuff that the CSIRO are doing. Yeah, surely. Surely yeah. that's the, the go. Yeah. Uh, so the chief executive director, Larry Marshall, again said in relation to this, it was 50 years ago that Australia played a critical role in the original moon mission, but innovation never sleeps. So we're proud to support the latest innovations heading to the moon's surface. Australia is growing a vibrant space industry underpinned by our, our unique strengths in agriculture, mining and materials. And because we know innovation thrives on collaboration, we're supporting the entire international space community. Yeah, fair so, enough. Yeah. That's the future. So basically mm. like... The success of this telescope led to NASA to copy the basic design in their own deep space network. Mm. So they have they also have a 64-meter dish built in Goldstone and they have another one in California, Madrid, Spain, and another one near Canberra. So this design was copied mm. and pasted by NASA over and over again because it works really well, Yeah, which is cool. And then half of you know, more than the 2,000 known pulsars in the universe were found by this one specific telescope. And even though it's operated primarily for astronomy research, it's had a long history of being contracted by NASA and other international space agencies to track and receive data from spacecraft. So CSIRO's predominant business is to, yet look at the sky Mm. and not not support craft, but they are continually contracted by these other peak organizations to do that because they're good at it yeah yeah and the parks radio telescope has discovered hundreds and hundreds of new galaxies and each of these galaxies contains billions of stars Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the story of the dish cool space is wild 
Space is wild and a huge chunk of what we know about it is coming from the grasslands of New South Wales. <laughs> mm. I Near feel parks and Forbes. similarly about like space as I do about like the deep sea. Like yeah. very interesting. I don't want to go there. Terrifying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I went to parks <clears throat> when I was 10. So that would have been 2002 because we did like a big like family road trip. And mm. I remember it being really cool because it was enormous. But also it's probably not there anymore, but they had a really good playground. It was one of those really old no, ones that was just metal and really dangerous. It's loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Would Would go. Would climb yeah. again. They have that and they've got a really good education centre, like an interactive education centre. Mm. Yeah, I remember it being a good the time. old dodgy playground mm. outside. Like, it was great. They've got this like amazing integrated anyway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Or at least it was there when I was there maybe two, three years ago. So mm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been twice on various road trips down mm. to um, Victoria and South Australia and – yeah, I actually made made us made a point. Like last time I did a trip, I was like, "We are going to the dish." <laughs> <laughs> like we are taking the extra, you know, it's like an extra hour because you just mm. kind of like divert off the highway on a diagonal line and then divert back on. So it's yeah, mm. but it's pretty worth it if you're ever traveling through that area to see it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of cool to look at this thing and know that yeah an organization like the CSIRO are genuinely doing good things for mm. humanity yeah like it's just kind of a like oh it's a literal beacon of hope mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah all right next week we have a super exciting episode oh, um, man. Uh, we have a very special guest uh we are going to be talking about iconic children's television program play school with a real life play school presenter yeah um we've got the amazing kang chan coming to talk to us it's going to be super wholesome we love play school a real human play school presenter yeah to tell us all the inside goss Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and there are we've we've yeah we've done the interview and can say that there are like it's just a very wholesome time. Mm. There are juicy tidbits. There are throwbacks to, you know, the 2000s and 90s era. Mm. Like it's it's great. Yeah. He does a really good job. We're excited for you all to listen yep. to it. Um, and it's yep. next week. So look out for that. You can follow us on Instagram at Australianorama um, or mm. chuck us an email, australianorama at gmail.com. You know, yep, let us know what you know about space. <laughs> yeah. Or if you make a... Bowen hoo-ha, whatever it was. Taffy, Taffy Bowen, Bowen, delicious. Send it through. My sources for this episode are CSIRO, Australian Defence Magazine, Wikipedia, Working Dog Productions, ABC News and ABC Science. Love it.